Governor J.B. Pritzker will have more than 660 bills to consider in the next three months. On this edition of Capital Cast, we'll take a look at the recent legislative session, which is mostly complete, and how the major players stack up among their predecessors. When we look at the legislative session that has just passed, it's also important to look at what the state constitution says are the next steps. Per the constitution, each house of the General Assembly has 30 days from a bill's passage to send it to the governor. The governor will then have 60 days to decide if he will sign it, veto it outright, or send suggested changes back to the legislature for their consideration. If he doesn't take action after 60 days, the bill would become law without his signature. If he vetoes a bill or issues an amendatory veto, lawmakers would have to consider whether to override the total veto, accept the amendments to the bill, reject the proposed changes, and pass the bill as written, or simply let the bill die with the amendatory veto. To override or accept changes, lawmakers would need three-fifths majorities in each chamber. For Pritzker and the Democrats that control the General Assembly, however, there have been very few veto showdowns in the past three years. Today I speak with University of Illinois Chicago professor Christopher Mooney, who specializes in state politics and is a longtime observer of state government. Mooney and I talked about the performance of new House Speaker Emanuel Chris Welch and relatively new Senate President Don Harmon. We also discuss whether it looks like Governor Pritzker will seek another term in office, and we look at his legislative efforts compared to past governors. Inevitably, the conversation started with the main difference from sessions past, which was the absence of former House Speaker Michael Madigan, who was voted out of that leadership post in January by his fellow Democrats after being Speaker for all but two years since 1983. Here's my conversation with Chris Mooney. So I wonder with the recently finished session with Speaker Emanuel Chris Welch and Senate President Don Harmon, Sort of really both of their first real legislative sessions. What did you see from them in terms of their leadership style and how it differed than decades past? Um, Well, the biggest change and biggest seismic shift, you know, uh, I mean, anything else you might want to say with this session was the exodus of Speaker Madigan and the arrival of Speaker Welch. Um, You know, Speaker Madigan has been in that position uh, except for two years, something like since 1982 or something like that. So far back, nobody can remember. Nobody alive can remember when when Mike Madigan became the Speaker of the House. It's been that long. Uh, but he was out. He was out uh, in – it was it's sort of – it reminded me of um, in, um, in Sun Also Rises, uh, uh, Hemingway writes of this character who, uh, who, who says uh, about being bankrupt. He said, "Well, it happened little by little, and then all at once." Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what it ha- That's what happened to the speaker. It was little by little. There was, there was, you know, it's always this constant harping, of course, from the Republican Party. Uh, and uh, he's, he, you know, especially during the Rauner years, in particular, ramped up to a very high level. Uh, and then, um, you know, uh, uh, various complaints and criticisms, and the Me Too movement really hit him hard. Uh, hit his office hard, and then uh, this last thing with comment. No, he wasn't charged, uh, but some of his closest aides and associates have been charged, and uh, uh, apparently it was just too much for the for the caucus, and the caucus had changed dramatically 
from certainly from when Madigan became speaker, and even really over the last this from say 20 years ago. I mean, there's a lot fewer uh, 54-year-old white guys with big bellies and broad lapels wandering around smoking cigars and stuff, and a lot more uh, younger people, people of color, a lot more women. In fact, more women in the Democratic caucus than there are men now in the House. So. Uh, and I think actually people of color might be a majority too. I should check that out uh, in, the, in that caucus. So, so yeah, it was uh, Madigan is a relic of an older age, finally pried loose, and in comes Chris Welch, who is uh, was uh, a Madigan protege. Uh, he was one of the many people in the long, last decades, a long line of people who have um, been. Oh, he'll be the speaker next time. There's a, the, the state is scattered with people like that. They're <laughs> up and down the state, and they're all doing various things. Now, Chris Welch happened to be the one there uh, left standing when the music stopped, shall we say, and uh, or maybe that's the wrong analogy. But anyway, he was there at the right place at the right time. So here he is, Chris Welch, uh, suburban, uh, African-American, uh, relatively new. He's only been in about 10 years or so, um, and uh, is – the, you know, has no precincts uh, in the city of Chicago in his district, as I understand it. So, so he's a he's, you know, a Democratic House Speaker that's not from the city of Chicago. And I, you know, we'd have to look back and see if how long ago that ever happened. Um, so anyway, so so he comes in. Uh, he says he's a breath of fresh air. Uh, you know, whereas Mike Madigan is famously, you know, clammed up, closed up. Tighter than a drum, no one gets to see the wizard. Everything is under wraps completely. The guy's, uh, you know, wrapped up tighter than, uh, you know, a tight wrap thing. You know, I mean, the guy was really, really uh, close to that. Uh, Chris Welch, very, he's outgoing. He's very uh, affable. Um, he, you know, he's uh, better with the press. He speaks to the press, uh, you know, and so the um, style points. Uh, or style differences, it, it could, almost couldn't be a greater contrast. Um, and, um, you know, so, it, and it was a tough session in, in a lot of ways for both of them, right? I mean, there was a lot of big issues on the table. Uh, There's a lot of hangover from the from last year that stuff they didn't get done uh, because of COVID and then all the extra stuff with COVID and then, of course, all the stuff that's going on this year uh, that would normally have been the case. Post-election uh, uh, year, this year is usually the this is the this is the one where they do the most activity. Next year will be the election year session, and it'll, it'll it's typically less busy. Right, and you know we'd noticed that too. Sort of Welch uh, coming down to the blue room, which is where the news conferences are held after session. It's, it's just yeah. a new sort of experience. <laughs> you were you probably were not born when Mike Madigan stepped into the uh, uh, into the uh, press room. <laughs> So you'd mentioned this uh, next year will be an election year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Governor Pritzker is going to have 660 plus bills to consider in the next couple months. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, which is which I don't I don't think that's abnormally high. Um, I, I mean, have you looked at the numbers compared to previous yeah, years? Yeah, I did, and it's it's pretty it's pretty similar. He yeah, it's in the ballpark, right? Yeah, in his first year. Okay. But, well, and that was a big year too. Um, actually, when, you know, what's normal? I say no, rounder years were never normal, so that's what I'm looking at. And maybe um, 
you know, Quinn or Goyvich years. But then, then you start thinking, what was a normal year in Illinois politics? I can't remember when that was. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but I think Rauner was in the 500s too, even. Wasn't even then. So, yeah. So. Well, well, most and most of those bills, I mean, generally how the uh, legislative process goes, as you well know, is that I mean, in state legislatures, and this is different than Congress, but in state legislatures. Um, there's sort of five bills or six bills or 10 bills or something that everybody cares about, right? It's the budget, of course. And then, you know, in this year's redistricting and maybe, uh, you know, the Exelon bill and a couple of other things, uh, everybody cares to some degree about that and, and multiple people are working on them. But, but almost the rest of those 600 some bills, are not many, not many, not many uh, legislators care. And really the ones that really, the only ones that really care are the sponsors of their bills, and so it's it's an entrepreneurial activity. They, you know, if, if those bills are going to pass, that sponsor has to get out there and do it. And so usually those bills are fairly narrow. Uh, not to say they only affect this particular district, but they're you know narrow in terms of interests, and they may be sort of minor. Oftentimes, they may not have any effect at all, and they're just sort of uh, you know bills to say, look what I did when I was in this you know Springfield and sort of thing. So when we say there's 690 bills. Uh, the vast majority of those, um, the governor's people, just have a little to make sure there's nothing crazy in them, but they're just going to, you know, that'll be no problem. Mm-hmm. So how do you think, uh, Pritzker hasn't really vetoed much of anything. I think I ran the numbers and it was 10 or 11 vetoes. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of them were for bills that were, um, had duplicative language in other in other bills that had passed at the same time, but uh, okay, so technical fixes, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. So, do you think he's worked well? I know there are some reported issues that he's had with Harmon over the energy bill and whatnot, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. how how would you sort of, as an observer, judge his performance in working with lawmakers? And do you think he wants another term? Oh, I definitely think he wants another term. He seems to be enjoying himself, which is kind of unusual because this is a very difficult job. Um, I know the last governor did not enjoy himself at all. <laughs> uh, Rob Bogoyevich did not enjoy himself. We know that. We know he hated the job and was bored with it. Uh, Pat Quinn, hard to know. I assume he liked it. Uh, he's always busy. He's got a lot of energy. Uh, but um, no, uh, Pritzker seems like he's, uh, you know, the happy warrior, you know. I mean, he seems uh, like he's moving along. He's got uh, now, you know, there are some grumbles from the legislature that, uh, you know, you hear that they're, they're a little high handed, you know, they don't consult as much as they should. And, and you know, that's, a, that, that's the bias you normally would expect to hear. Of course, they want to be consulted more. Of course, they want to be, you know, of course, you know, everybody wants to be consulted. Uh, so the fact that, you know, you hear some of that, I, I, it's hard to know if that's a true problem or if that's just par for the course. But uh, I mean, uh, you know, sometimes I mean, you you're not going to see a lot of vetoes from uh, from a governor whose party controls both chambers. If you see veto, a lot of vetoes in that situation or a lot of special sessions, there's a massive uh, dysfunction going on. Like when Rob Gorbachev was governor, they did do a bunch of special sessions, even though he was a Democrat. That was because Rob Gorbachev was a crook and uh, didn't know what he was doing, and the speaker and the president were trying to, you know, you know, trying to keep the things on on the rail until the feds showed up. You know, these things get worked out. Even even in um, 
when you've got a governor of the opposite party of the chambers, you don't get a ton of veto unless there's some weird situation, right? In normal circumstances, governors don't veto very often. And when they do veto, they almost never get overridden. That's just normal. Mooney and I also discussed the recent derailing of a wide-ranging bill that would have overhauled the state's energy landscape. Harmon faced a lot of criticism among renewable energy advocates as the bill hit a roadblock amid the planned May 31st adjournment date and during a brief special session called to reconsider the measure. Even though both of those deadlines passed without an energy bill, Harmon and others said they are still confident the bill could come up for a vote this summer. Mooney pointed to the complex nature of energy policy as a reason it stalled, reserving judgment on Harmon's performance as Senate president. Anytime you're dealing with public utilities, the forces are massive, right? And, uh, you know, the public utilities are basically a state-run or state-authorized monopoly. They just, they get, uh, you know, they just, state lets them make money. And how much money are they going to make? The state signs how much money they're going to make in a sense. And, you know, of course, so, and since they're a massive corporation making billions of dollars here, you know, they're going to be very interested in what those regulations are. So they're going to do everything they can to get involved in, you know, you know, cut to, you know, ComEd, where from the very top, uh, now they've admitted, they have been full, you know, focused on influencing the state legislature in pretty extreme ways and uh, ways that the federal prosecutor is, uh, uh, you know, says are illegal. So we'll see how that works out in the courts. Um, but, you know, those guys, whenever there's a big, Exelon, ComEd, uh, uh, telecommunications bill, you know, every lobbyist in Springfield is hired, um, you know, it's battle royal, unions are heavily involved, uh, you know, these are these are the kind of unusual mega bills. And, you know, that's, that's politics at a high level, um, and so they're oftentimes somewhat idiosyncratic because of that, right? And in this case, you've got uh, Harmon, who... Uh, you know, he's new, so he's a little harder to figure out, right? So in these seven negotiations, somehow something happened where, you know, there was a miscommunication or he made a miscalculation or whatever happened, uh, you know, these things fell apart. And they're, and they're super delicate, the negotiations, because we're talking about lots and lots of money, lots and lots of jobs, long time periods, right? You know, locking in people for things for a long time period. And every single well, virtually everybody in the state, depending on which company you're talking about, is has to deal with these uh, public utilities. You know, we're forced into it, and so we all care to some extent. Uh, so lots of, you know, these are some of the most complicated and messy uh, bills. And the fact that they have gotten it this far is actually, I mean, you might say, well, they screwed it up. You screwed it up at the end, but they did get it pretty far, and you know, now it looks like it's going to work out. But uh, yeah, so I, I like I said, I don't know the details, but I do know these are super complicated uh, and touchy kinds of bills right. um, because there's so many interests involved. And he did tell me when I spoke to him in the blue room after the special one-day session, they had a. Mm-hmm. week ago or whatever it was, he said, you know, I if I brought this bill for it today, a vote today, I'm confident I would not have had enough yes votes in my caucus to pass it. So, so right. but the, the fact that it, it, it was the Senate that 
had these issues passing it or had these issues that sort of led to it stalling. Is that is that an indication that the Senate's maybe carrying more weight than they once did when Madigan was House Speaker or do we always Oh, we well, always just... alternatively, you might say, is it because the Senate couldn't get the job done like the House did this time? I, you know, I'm not, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I, it's not, a, it's not clear to me at this point, like one chamber is dominating the other. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and in fact, even when Madigan was in power, I mean, he wouldn't, you know, he would play his games and he used the rules in ways that would advantage him in his positions. Uh, and, you know, one might say that, you know, sometimes he looked like he was running circles around the Senate president, depending on who it was. Uh, but, you know, both chambers are equally, uh, you know, are equally important. And so those kind of differences are really on the margin. Um, and in this case, it's not obvious to me that one chamber is, you know, more – I mean, they both have to pass the bills in exactly the same – language so uh, they're both important right okay so any other thoughts on the session no I, I in some way I would say this about the, the, my thought my general thought probably is that it's sort of the dog that didn't bark situation so first time you know they come back after COVID again brand new speaker everybody was watching that right everybody you know this is the first you know in again in the lifetime of many members of the general assembly this is the first speaker of the house is not named Madigan. uh i mean and that's a, that's a, that's a crazy thing to think about right um you know avery bourne who is a member from she's a republican from like morrisonville downstate i right. think i think she's been in like 10 years now and she still wasn't born when Madigan became the Speaker of the House the first time. I mean, so yeah, so it's so so the question is, you know, again, the dog that wouldn't bark is that did things fall apart? Did you know were were the train did the trains get to run on time? Um, were there any massive cockups? And I think the answer is no. I think that the answer is that uh, you know Illinois survived not having Mike Madigan place. Uh, the state uh, legislature, the House, uh, functioned, uh, and I think this is um, – it, it shouldn't be surprising because we establish institutions to, as government that should be separate from the individuals involved, but the, the cult of Madigan, both for and against, has been so pervasive in this state for so many years, decades, um, that I think a lot of people forgot that. That it's not he's not a magician he's not he didn't you know you know if he's not there it you know there are other people who can accomplish what he's accomplished or do what he did and and do it successfully and I think uh, um, Chris Welch uh, in his you know I'm, I'm not saying it was the greatest session of all times you know didn't get everything he wanted etc but it was successful in terms of getting a balanced budget or you know what passed for a balanced budget these days uh, and dealing with some of these major issues. Um, and yeah, did they have, you know, they had that little mistake on the budget or a, maybe not that little, but they got it fixed, uh, you know, on the, on the uh, effective dates and so forth. So, you know, that was a little hiccup, but they got it fixed, you know. So anyway, so I, you know, I'm not, I'm not here uh, as, a, you know, great fan of anybody or not, but I will say that uh, things could have gone much worse, uh, especially with a new person and in, in this situation. So, you know. Uh, the fact that it was more or less a normal session uh, is uh, it shows number one 
institutions are accounts and not personalities most of the time. And also the fact that, uh, you know, Chris Welch, you know, was able to do a good job. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate the time, Chris. Yep. Yeah, no problem, Jerry. Nice talking to you. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was University of Illinois Chicago State Politics Professor Christopher Mooney. I'm Jerry Nowicki for Capital News Illinois. Thanks, as always, for listening, and view more of our work at CapitalNewsIllinois.com.